welcome. You are listening to the Willamette Investors Network Multifamily Show. We are a nationwide network of investors, syndicators, and industry professionals that invest in real estate together. We believe that investing is a team sport, and our goal is to connect you with the people, experiences, and education that will help you along your journey to multifamily success. Welcome to the Win Multifamily Show. My name is Daniel Homland. Today, our guest is Jeremy Goodrich. Jeremy is an entrepreneur, real estate insurance advisor, and side hustle investor. His clients have portfolios from 10 units to thousands. He's also a podcaster over at reiclarity.com. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, Daniel. I'm so happy to be here. Looking forward to chatting about everyone's favorite topic, real estate investing insurance. You know, you are, I, I believe, the fourth person we've had on this show nice. uh, out of almost 100 episodes that we've done now. So it's not an unimportant topic. And it's, it is a topic that a lot of people overlook to a certain extent. So maybe we could start with how did you get into real estate insurance? And then um, rather than going through the, you know, the, the standard insurance contract, maybe, maybe you could give us some of the uh, corner cases in insurance that people would need to look out for. Um, yeah, absolutely. So how I got into insurance. So I was an elementary school teacher for 13 years. I taught third and fourth grade kids. I was an art teacher first and then became a third and fourth grade teacher after that. And so that's really where my heart is, is education, elementary education. I enjoyed it. I had a great time doing it. During that time, I met my wife and now business partner in our insurance agency. She's a third generation insurance agent. She was working at her dad's agency. And at some point she was like, you know, I'm kind of sick of the, you know, toxic male energy around this industry. I would love to do something on my own. And I said, well, uh, I'm getting kind of tired of being a school teacher. Let's take our two knowledge bases, me as an educator and you as all the insurance knowledge you have, let's put it together and let's start our own agency where we really try and change the way people feel about insurance. And as much as we can change the way the industry works and the way the culture of the industry is. So those were our big visions for starting our agency seven years ago. And I started off on home and auto insurance and I really quickly engaged with a lot of first-time home buyers and got into this buying world, this real estate buying world. And they were asking me questions about mortgages and inspections and about all the different stuff. And I didn't know the answers to it. So I started asking the people who did know the answers, lenders and realtors and everybody else, and just started establishing relationships in this real estate world. And I was like, I really like this world. I like the engagement with the space. I like what's going on. I like the possibilities. And so since then, uh, to make a really long story really short, I've really focused in on real estate insurance. And now I personally, this is all I do. Um, so I work with real estate investors all over the country and with portfolios literally of all sizes. Excellent. So this year we're actually homeschooling. My wife is actually homeschooling our three kids. And I really appreciate that skill set of, of elementary school teaching. <laughs> it's, it is not easy. And it's definitely underappreciated. Um, yeah. My mom tried to teach us, uh, there's a short period of time when I was in 10, I was probably in the fifth grade. My sister was in third grade and my mom tried to homeschool us. And pretty quickly she said, you all know more than I do. This isn't working out very well. <laughs> Yeah. It's true. It's, and it's, it can be a hard thing to pull off. You, you've got to um, have the right chemistry to a certain extent. 
And, and and I I imagine that actually follows over fairly well to insurance as well. You have to know the business and and know how to uh, you know interact in the business. So um, tell us a little bit about that. What what it, maybe we should start with? What is a standard insurance contract that you would do for a multifamily property? And then and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I, I think on that topic of of education you know, what I found as, because I never, I haven't changed from a teacher. I mean, that's still my inherent quality, you know, is just being trying to teach people about something that they don't necessarily want to learn about. Right. And that's not that much different than teaching uh, a fourth grader how to do division. You know, there's about half the people in my class, half the kids in my class really wanted to learn math and were into it. And the other half of the kids in my, my class hated math. It was the worst thing in the world. And my job was really to turn them onto it in some level. Maybe I didn't make them love it. Maybe I didn't make them turn into a mathematician for the rest of their life, but I did at least make them find it, help them to find interest in the topic and what value it played in their life. And so I think that that's kind of what I'm doing here too. It's right. It's, I, I always say I'm the least important, most important member of any REI team because, you know, your insurance agent is on the bottom of your list when you're thinking about all the people you want to build your team with. You think about your lawyer, your accountant, those relationships with brokers, you know, your lenders and, and all those folks. And those are on the top of all of our, all of our minds as investors. Then the insurance agent is sort of like a side thought and um, that, which is, I understand we can deal with some of those things in this conversation. But I think that in the end, when like a client of mine had a couple of weeks ago where a tenant was on the front porch, smoking a cigarette, fell asleep, lit the couch on fire, lit the front of the property on fire and, uh, you know, ended up having the entire single family home, uh, not engulfed, but ultimately, you know, probably will have to be in a, you know, a total rebuild. That's when I become the most important member of your team. And so I'm perfectly happy to be the least important member but I always know that when I'm going to become the most important member, that's when I'm going to be there and that's when it's going to be good. So that didn't answer your question about an insurance contract. Um, so I can transition to that if that's okay with you. Okay. So, you know, I think that when we're talking about insurance contracts and insurance in general, we can, we can boil it down to two simple things that make things so much easier for us as investors when we're trying to understand insurance. One is property coverage. It's like the, it's what you think of insurance, is it, right? It's the coverage for the building. It's the coverage for the stuff inside the building. Although most of our rentals are, are occupied by tenants, so it's not our stuff. Um, but we do have some stuff inside the building. It's the coverage for those things, the property itself, that is part of what an insurance contract is all about. The other side of insurance, I think, is the most important side, and that's liability coverage. So that's just coverage for bad things that happen to other people because of you, or in the case of real estate investors, because of your properties. Usually it's not you personally that did something bad. With auto insurance, lots of times it's you that's driving the car and something bad happened, right? It's more connected with you as a human. But with most property stuff, it's, it's scenarios that happen with your property. If a fire happens, was there something about the property that, that maybe made that fire more likely and some personal injury attorney you know, gets involved? So liability coverage is for bad things that happen to other people because of you or your property. And to me, that's the most important because that's where you can get nailed the hardest. And uh, so you really want to protect yourself on that side. There's lots more to insurance, but there, I just boiled it down for you, Daniel. That's it. I mean, th th those are the key <laughs> high level points. What, um, 
so one question that I that I have, and um, maybe that other listeners have as well, is there's there's something called renter's insurance, right? Where the things inside the that are they're owned by the renter are covered, and of course, you know, there's a policy for the building. How, how do those two meet together? Should I have extra insurance to cover the things that, that are my renters? What what's the intersection of those two? Yeah, I think renter's insurance is really important for property owners and having it in your lease and making sure, you know, at least having it in your lease. And obviously, if you're a larger property owner, making sure lots of property owners make make sure that their tenants have renter's insurance. So most of your listeners are, are saying, why? Why does it matter to me? And it's a fair question. I mean, if if somebody's stuff is stolen inside of your property, does that really affect your bottom line or you at all? No, not really. You know, so you say, well, renter's insurance is for their stuff. I'm not responsible for their stuff. I don't, it, it doesn't matter to me. So let me give you a couple of examples of why renter's insurance does affect you. So first of all, if you're a large multifamily property owner, say you've got a thousand properties or something like that, you're probably carrying a property deductible somewhere in the 25,000, maybe even $50,000 range. Now you think about small scenarios. There's a small fire that happens in a kitchen, doesn't burn down the whole place, but creates a lot of damage inside that one property. Well, your policy is not gonna cover that. You've got a $50,000 deductible or $25,000 deductible. Whose policy will cover it? The renter. And the renter's policy will pay for damage to your building to your property, to your stove, to your you know, walls, to all that kind of stuff and pay that out and with no deductible to you. So for the small things that happen inside of pro your building that happen to your property, uh, a renter's policy is really nice. Suddenly you didn't have a $30,000 uh, cost because a renter did something bad. So there's all sorts of scenarios that my clients experience where if the renter, if there was no renter's policy in, in place, it just created more of a headache and often more money out of pocket. So that fire I talked about uh, in that house, they, those folks did not have renter's coverage. So the, the, you know, my client has an insurance policy. My client's policy is paying out, is going to take care of that, but he has to pay his deductible. Now he's got a claim on his record. You know, so all of those things are factors. So even for property coverage, renter's policies come in really what handy uh, for situations like that. And then, uh, Daniel, the second reason I think a, a renter's policy is so important is again, back to that liability coverage. If somebody has a dog and their dog bites somebody and that person hires a personal injury attorney and that person, you know, uh, it sues them for $50,000, that kid that's living in that apartment doesn't have $50,000. And that personal injury attorney is pretty smart. If there's no renter's policy there that they can go after, they're going to turn towards the policy of the property owner. And now the property owner is dealing with a situation that really they never should have had to deal with in, in the first place. So mm -hmm. it seems like a small thing, but it really does help out in, in a lot of situations. What types of liability does the property owner's insurance actually cover? Uh, to what extent does it cover liability? So, I mean, a couple of things. One, like that dog bite example, even though the dog is the tenant's dog, a personal injury attorney is going to sue the tenant and going to sue the property owner. So while yep. the property owner doesn't have a huge exposure, their insurance policy may end up paying out depending on how big it is. I mean, again, if you have a lot of properties, you're probably just going to have your, your attorney take care of it and that's it. But for most of your listeners who are probably smaller real estate investors, it, it becomes a big deal if you have to spend $10,000 out of pocket for lawyers. And so that's, 
That's absolutely. Absolutely. But liability coverage also covers mostly it's, it's slip and falls, people who fall on the stairs, injuries that happen in a backyard during a party. Um, you know, worst case scenarios are like collapses of decks and things like that. You've heard what about, about a, that. what about burglary? Uh, burglary would mostly, I mean, if so liability, let's see, I mean, burglary usually is a property claim for the tenant. Um, if the person stole, if you, if like someone stole copper, all the copper out of your property, that would be a property claim. So that wouldn't yeah. hit liability. If, you know, a burglar came in and hurt someone in the space and it was mm. deemed that uh, there wasn't a proper security system or something like that, uh, that certainly could fall on the liability coverage of the property owner. Um, so liability covers a lot of the same things you would imagine in a business policy, you know, mm -hmm. like a storefront, mm -hmm. slip and falls, things like that, but certainly extends out beyond that as well. Okay. What, what other areas does insurance cover? I, I know we haven't talked about natural disasters or, or, you know, quote unquote, acts of God, as the legal text would say. Mm -hmm. But uh, what other areas does insurance cover? And so I think one of the big ones that is, you know, the, in the, the top three, when it comes to real estate investors or property, we talked about a little bit, liability, we talked about a little bit, and then loss of income is a huge piece of insurance where if you have, again, coming back to fires, just because it's the easiest example, you know, that particular person who I talked about earlier, all those tenants had to move out of that property because it was no longer inhabitable. Mm -hmm. and, and that was no longer cash flowing. In your contracts, it says if your property is not able to be occupied anymore, then you release the person from their rental, you know, their expectations. And so you can't make money off of that. So for the next year, you know, or however long it takes to replace, you know, rebuild this property, you've lost the income associated with that property. So that coverage exists on good insurance policies called loss of use com coverage. And um, I would suggest having it. It's not particularly expensive and it really, it replaces that lost income, which could be a huge amount of money uh, depending on the scenario. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is not necessarily an uncommon thing to have happen. I, I know multiple investors who have dealt with fires and it not only is that a headache, but you know, you're also facing the possibility of not getting the returns that your investors had been promised. Uh, so I can see how that would be a very valuable thing to have. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like you didn't think about that lost income until you got in that situation. Yeah. It is important, and COVID is a great example of something to point out here, that that particular coverage is contingent on a covered loss to your property. So a lot of people think, well, does that cover if I have vacancy? You know, if I can't get the space filled? No, there are specialized coverages out there that can do that. I'm not sure you want to pay the premium for what it actually costs to have it. But um, COVID is a great example that um, certainly restaurants and other types of businesses are experiencing. Hey, I've got, I, I can't have people in my business. That's loss of use coverage, right? Well, it's, it's not a covered loss to your business. Nothing happened to your business to make that happen. And so there unfortunately is not loss of use coverage because of COVID on insurance policies. So not as big of a deal to real estate investors, but an absolutely huge deal to other types of business owners. Absolutely. That's, that's incredibly big for, especially restaurants. I've, it's been very sad to see so many good restaurants and, and other businesses, you know, struggling or going under during this time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. What, what other questions should I be asking about insurance? 
You know, I think the biggest question that people should be asking that they aren't is just about the relationship with their insurance agent. You know, I think that you should hire your insurance agent like you hire your lawyer where you're, you don't go to your lawyer, you don't go to, you don't go to a lawyer and say, look, um, I'm going, I'd like you to create a um, lease for one of my buildings. Here's the specs of my building. Could you create a lease for it? And I'm going to ask four other lawyers to create leases as well. Um, and I'm going to look at those four different leases and I'm going to see which lease I like the best. And I'm going to choose my lawyer based on those specs. That's just not how you hire a lawyer. You go, you sit down with that person or connect with them however you can. And you're looking for a couple of things. Do they know the industry? Do I feel like I can trust them? Do I feel like I connect with them in a human way? And then you move forward with that person, you know, and you, you expect that person to play the role that they play. And you don't need much more from them. Although I think a good lawyer, and I agree, I, I also think a good insurance agent is someone who, well, lawyers charge for anything you do. Insurance agents don't. So that's the positive. But you could, you know, text about something. <laughs> hey, I got this other question. I know you know real estate really well. I know you deal with lots of real estate investors. Uh, what do you think about this? You know, I have tons of text and Zoom conversations with investors that I insure, but we're not talking about insurance because they know that I get to see this industry from a really high level, right? Like I see every strategy, I see every size portfolio, and I see people who I know right off are not going to make it. And I see people who are going to really succeed because of their approach. And that's a position I have. And a lot of your service providers have your realtors for sure, your lenders as well, that you should tap into. So I really think the biggest question people should be asking that they aren't is what is this relationship going to be like with my insurance agent, not just around insurance, but around, you know, part them being a part of your team. That's great advice. That's great advice. You know, one thing that I'm actually probably more often asked by investors than any other insurance related question is flooding. Is the property in a flood zone? And maybe you could take a moment to kind of comment um, on the different levels of flooding classification and, and how insurance impacts that. And uh, yeah. Absolutely. So I just posted a video on my YouTube channel, the Shine Insurance YouTube channel that really digs deep into flood insurance. So if I don't hit on the topic that your listener really wants to hit in this particular conversation, they can hit there. S send me a link to it. We'll put it in the show notes. Awesome. So the first thing I think you need to do is in your underwriting process, there has to be a checkbox for is it in a flood zone? Because I see so many investors that are two weeks before closing and they're coming to, to me and saying, hey, you know, I need flood insurance. And it's like, well, flood insurance doesn't really work that way unless everything is in place already. So the first thing I would say is definitely put it in your underwriting process and just know if something's in a flood zone or not early on before you make that offer for sure. And if it is in a flood zone, it may not be the end of the world but you really need to dig into what the insurance costs are going to be around that. Obviously it depends on the size of the property. It depends on all the same factors that other insurance depends on, but the biggest thing it depends on and the biggest hurdle that you have to get over when figuring out flood insurance is an elevation certificate. And so this document basically says, all right, the flood, the floodplain is right here. 
and the property is up a little bit or down a little bit or whatever it is. Hopefully the building itself is up a little bit um, or you're going to have real problems with insurance. Yep. But the elevation certificate is created by a surveyor. It's submitted to FEMA and then FEMA will come back and say, okay, here's what the price is for, for uh, the insurance. That's sort of an, a simplified way of putting it, but you have to get a survey. Anybody who's ever worked with a surveyor knows, okay, now there's some time commitment here. So there's, there's really two ways. If you know it's in a flood zone, step one is to find out if it's in a flood zone. Step two is if you know if it's in a flood zone, don't make that offer until you understand more clearly exactly the cost of flood insurance because it could be huge. Step three is to ask the seller if they have an elevation certificate. The, ele the, the seller might have an elevation certificate and then you can get a quote for flood insurance in 24 hours and have your answer. If the seller does not have a flood, an elevation certificate, now you really need to know that you may have a six week turnaround before you even have a sense of what flood insurance could cost for you. So it's just a real thing. And I know that lots of, especially larger multifamily or office deals take more than a couple of months. So maybe you have that six weeks, maybe your due diligence period is, you know, long enough to go through that, but you really need to realize that if you have to get an elevation certificate, you know, six weeks is the turnaround and you're mm -hmm. not going to know a real number. And any insurance agent that says, Oh, I'll ballpark it for you is playing a dangerous game. Because if they don't have an elevation certificate, these prices, I mean, if I don't have an elevation certificate on a single family home in a flood zone, it could be $1,000. It could be $10,000. I mean, that's just, so if you want me to ballpark it for you, I guess I'll say 9,000, you know, but that's not really helping you out. Yep. You know, so, yeah. I think flood insurance has become known as one of those things that if you haven't had experience with it, can, it can bite you. And yeah. so it's important that investors and you know, buyers and sellers know about it. Um, are there any other things like flood insurance that kind of have the same sort of turnaround or, or that might sneak up on you in a deal and you realize I should have accounted for it, but I didn't? I think the state of the property is, and I'm not sure that necessarily sneaks up on you because you, you know you're, you should be having a conversation with your insurance agent in those original chats you have with them and they should be asking that question and pretty quickly be able to, to navigate that with you. But yeah, the state, you know, if the, the roof is old, if there's a lot of deferred maintenance, this is gonna put it in a much different price category. And if you're gonna fix all that stuff in the first year, then you might say, well, you know, I've gotta eat a much higher cost of insurance in year one but we'll be able to get lower insurance costs when we have everything fixed and you're a good agent should be able to describe to you what that's going to look like. All right. Any last words or comments before we go to a lightning round? Nope. I, I think that we shouldn't be scared of insurance. I think, I hope I got across the concept that, you know, I really do feel like your insurance agent is a key part of your team. And if you treat them that way and see them that way and look for people who play that role and fit with you that way, you're going to have good experiences with insurance. Excellent. On to a lightning round. Cool. I'm ready. What is the best part about being a real estate investor? You know, I, I guess I'll shift that to insurance because that's the huge part of what I do. The, the best part of it for me is getting to engage with so many people. It's a connections world. And I guess that's my favorite part about being a real estate investor too, is just getting to meet so many cool different people. Real estate investors come from all different backgrounds, all different stories, all different ways of life. And I really like getting to involve and engage with all those. 
Who's your ideal partner or client? My ideal partner or client? Oh, so many. I mean, I think that uh, Augustino Pintus is a great example. Um, he is someone who's an investor and just like gets into big, cool deals that are really exciting. His, his deal in Cleveland right now, uh, downtown at the Rockefeller uh, Center, the Rockefeller Center is, is, or the Rockefeller Building is uh, a neat thing that he's working on right now. Mm -hmm. We actually just recently had him to our uh, real estate investment education club at Intel and, and also on this podcast a couple episodes ago. Cool. Great guy. He's, he's a fun guy. There's so many, so many of those characters in this world. I just really enjoy it. Yep. All right. What is a, a mistake that you have made or somebody else has made? And what did you learn from it? I think that, again, I'm going to come back to insurance just because that's the role I play in this conversation. I think the biggest mistake that I see lots and lots of investors make is thinking they can underinsure a building, not insure it for the replacement cost or something around there and think that the claim's going to go well. It's just going to be a catastrophe. I can describe that at some point for you, but uh, way under insuring and thinking that's a good idea is definitely the biggest mistake I see all the time. So, so do people fall into the trap of insuring just for what the debt service is or, you know, what they need to pay out to investors or what, um, what do you see people doing there that's, that is in their mind when they're under insuring? Well, I think that's the big thing that people do is see what they bought it for and say, well, I just need to insure it for what I bought it for. And what you don't realize is the insurance contract is built to penalize you for that. So if you're going to underinsure, at least make sure that there is no co-insurance clause, that the co-insurance clause is waived. If you're, it's still not going to be the best scenario, but it's going to be a heck of a lot better than if you underinsure with a co-insurance clause, it's just going to kill you. I told someone a story the other day of a $40,000 claim uh, that paid out $3,000 because of the combination of how the policy was set up. Like that's the kind of things that really bad insurance agents offer. And uh, it's just a shame. What do you consider to be not underinsuring a building? Well, you know, it, you full replacement cost is going to be the, the best way to go. And that's going to be whatever it would actually cost to rebuild it. So many places that's about $125 a square foot. Um, that's obviously raising uh, significantly right now as materials raise, but somewhere in that realm. Um, and I see people insuring for $50 a square foot, $30 a square foot. It's like no one can build for that. So um, you don't necessarily have to insure for the entire replacement cost if you really understand how insurance works. But if you don't understand how insurance what works and you think that you can just insure for what you have into it, you're going to get seriously burned by the policy. Great advice. Can you recommend a book, a website, a resource that is not Rich Dad, Poor Dad <laughs> that will help us <laughs> with our investor journey? Yeah. So I, I want to recommend uh, a uh, author who has multiple books um, named Jay Baer. And he is a marketing advisor and he has a book called Utility, which I love a book called Hug Your Haters, which is the one I'll suggest to you. And it's essentially how to learn from the people who give you bad reviews or give you negative feedback and how to really learn from those people instead of feeling angst and you know anger at them. So I think that particular book is really helpful. Um, but Jay Bear, all of his books are awesome. And every single book he writes, you can tell pretty much the entire topic by the title. Okay. And then lastly, how can the Win Multifamily listeners get in touch with you? 
So uh, my website is shineinsurance.com. If you want to go there, there's some resources that you can use, obviously information about insurance and pretty much everything is there at shineinsurance.com. And like I said, our YouTube channel, if you just search Shine Insurance, you'll see um, all of our assets and resources there. And if you want to listen to our podcast, very similar to your podcast, it's reiclarity.com. All right, Jeremy, thank you so much for being on the show and for talking us through some of the, the points about multifamily insurance, some of the pitfalls that people fall into with underinsuring, flood insurance, things like that. Thank you so much for coming on and having a, a spirit of uh, wanting to educate. So, Absolutely. Daniel, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and I hope you have a winning day. Hello, Win Multifamily listeners. As you know, this podcast is all about learning to work in teams so that you can buy cash flowing multifamily properties. If you'd like to learn more about that, please click subscribe. If you're interested in the type of investments that we do at Along Capital, please go to alongcapital.com slash investors. That's Alon, A-A-L-O-N, capital.com. We'd like to set up a one-on-one phone call with you to talk about your real estate investment goals. 